Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode zero of Brilluminati, a podcast where we drink beer and talk about conspiracy theories. This first episode will be focused on introducing ourselves, talking a little bit about the beer that we're drinking tonight, and having a conversation about the first issues that really roped us in to conspiracy theories. I would like to apologize in advance of the episode. We had some technical difficulties with the recording. There's a handful of instances of additional feedback. You can hear the mic booming a little bit, and there's some additional background noise. As the episodes progress and our recording equipment improves, we will work to minimize this as much as possible. But without any further ado, please enjoy episode zero of Brilluminati. John and I am here with Jake and like I said in the introduction we drink beer and talk about uh, conspiracy theories. So tonight uh, what we uh, what we have here on deck is a collaboration between Stone and Modern Times called Wizards and Gargoyles a hazy coffee IPA that is actually quite weird and uh, sits in at seven percent and uh, it is kind of a on the front end, a bit of an IPA, and on the back end, a bit of coffee. Uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, definitely weird. Like, yeah. I get so much more coffee than I get IPA out of it. It's more like a very, very light coffee porter with, like, a weird amount of hop. Like a blonde stout that's kind of hoppy. Yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah, but very coffee Like, it tastes straight up like espresso. But drinkable. I could do maybe two of these, maybe. Yeah, like I'll probably be good after this one. <laughs> I move on to something else a little more uh, juicy and citrusy, like I prefer. But you know, it's it's definitely good. I wonder if there's actually caffeine in here. I don't know. Stone or Modern Times, if you're listening, reach out. Let us know <laughs> for sure. Hit us up. We uh, hit us up. We need you. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then so uh, today we are going to. Give a little introduction, talk about ourselves a little bit, and the first conspiracies that we really kind of latched onto and what we think about them, and we'll kind of have a discussion there. So, uh, yeah, John, kick it off. What was your first conspiracy theory? How old were you when it happened? And uh, kind of where were you at in your life, and what did that turn into and open up for you? All right, so that's a pretty easy one. So I am... Uh, I'm fairly young-ish. I'm in my early 30s. The very first conspiracy theory that I can remember like really grabbing out to me was 9-11. And that's because I was in eighth grade when it happened. And I remember where I was. I was in social studies class. I was uh, just sitting there and then some person comes like busting through the door, tries to say some horrible thing happened. It was all hush-hush. We didn't know anything about what was going on until we got home. And then I turn on the news and it's like, I don't even remember when they let us go, but I assume it was like sometime in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah, I got off the bus and walked home and then just like turned on the TV and it was like every single channel. The towers were on fire, planes crashed into them, yeah. like they, they had come down, like it was this whole thing. Um, do, do, you, do you remember seeing specifically like one of the planes hitting that morning? Do you remember like that visual, like 
as it happened? Or do you remember seeing the replays later? Because if you had to get home from school, I'm guessing it was, because it happened at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm guessing it was later. In the, yeah, it yeah. was later. I think the, what, the firefighters were in the building for like just a, over an hour yeah. when Tower 2 came down. Nine something. Yeah. yeah. So it got hit at like late, late in the eight o'clock, early nine o'clock, something like that. I can't yeah. remember the exact time, but it was like somewhere like around 10 is when the first one came down. So I would have been in like third period or yeah. something like that. And I, I, I don't remember. I, I have to look at my yearbook or something and see like, <laughs> like if I can find my schedule or something from that year. That would be interesting. No, like they would not let us watch TV. Like they didn't turn the TVs on. They didn't do anything. We just, we didn't do schoolwork. We just sat there like basically sort of in silence, just like talking to each other, but we, they didn't want to turn the TV on. We couldn't watch the news. We couldn't do anything. Um, just silent teachers talking behind the scenes. And yeah. Like, it was just, you guys all just staring like, at them. Yeah. It was just all this like whispering and, and stuff. And so, Crazy. yeah. And so there was really, I didn't know anything. I just know something horrible had happened and it could have been anything. Yeah. Cause it's like, so we are in North Carolina and I went to middle school here. Like I was born here, raised here. Okay. And so like, we're so far away. Like, I mean, it could have been anything. Yeah. Like I never imagined that it was that. Yeah. And then eventually they like, I think later in the day, maybe like not that long after they kind of like told us what had happened so that we like knew why everybody was freaking out but we didn't really understand the breadth of it sure and still we couldn't watch the like they weren't going to sit there and let us watch the news in the middle of social studies class, right you know what I mean? and even um, back then like when the whispering between teachers starts it could be a kid's family member got in a car accident or something so you have no idea like you said the breadth of it it's such a we yeah, or there thing. was a fight, or they caught Susie, what's her name, you know, parachuting her mom's pills in the bathroom yeah, or some shit. Like, exactly. you, like it could have been and that. It could have been anything. It's hard because it's like I knew exactly where I was. I know I was in social studies class, but what I don't remember is like what happened after that. Like, I don't remember. Did we go the whole day at school? I don't remember specifically when I got home. Yeah, I just remember like walking in the house, dropping my stuff turning on the TV and it was on every single channel and it was just like so scary, which this is actually like a very interesting time to be talking about 9-11 because, well, at the time that we're recording this, it would have been six days ago was yeah. 19 years and actually just went back and I watched at the 10 years after in 2011, somebody did, I can't remember who produced it, it was like CPBS or something. But they had Robert De Niro do the oh, um, yeah, yeah. 9 11 10 years later documentary. Yeah, I remember that. Actually, the very first time I saw it was this last week. Because oh, wow. they put okay. it out on a streaming service somewhere, or I found it on Reddit or something. I can't remember where I watched it. But I didn't even know that documentary had happened. And so it's been 19 years, and I had no idea that those French filmmakers were with ladder seven yeah like i had no idea that any of that happened that they had video from inside the buildings they had video from the the firefighters like i didn't know that any of that was even out there which is crazy because i am sort of semi obsessed but not really with the nine with the 9 11 conspiracy theories yeah um so it surprises me that i would not have known that that was out there but i was I've always been more focused on the conspiracy the, uh, right. the conspiracy of it, which the reason this is probably the first big one for me is that it's the first one that I can remember a definitive event happening and people coming out almost instantly and saying, 
it was it was bush it was a false flag there's yeah. no way that this is possible jet engine doesn't melt steel beams there's no way yeah. these buildings could have fallen straight down from being struck on the 70th floor and this is pre-twitter and all that stuff so it's just you know this stuff is still getting out there in the air yeah exactly yeah. and so that's the first one really that just like grabbed me and i still it still bothers me now like mm-hmm. like i get that there's all these people out there that are like it's true, you know, it is a conspiracy. There's no way that it could work. There's still people out there being like, no, those buildings just happen. They both just happen to fall straight down perfectly. Three you of know, them. Three, yeah, three of them in what looks like a controlled demo, but apparently that's mm-hmm. totally possible within physics. Yeah. Well, Popular Mechanics said. <laughs> popular, yeah, Popular yeah. Mechanics said it can happen. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Plus, like, it's all, there's so many layers to the 9-11 conspiracy because there's not just the part about you know al-qaeda and the people who took over the planes there's also the what's really interesting is the stories of the people like like the firefighters that part's always really interesting the mm-hmm. the um information about the people making phone calls from the airplanes talking to their families and, and those like, tapes exist and, and are yeah, weird mm-hmm, yeah and uh, yeah and all those tapes are there and they're weird but then there's just like and i think really the conspiracy is uh, to me it's twofold it's how did the how did the portion about the planes happen? Mm-hmm. And then how did the buildings fall? Yeah. Those are like the two big parts to me. And I guess like the third part is who orchestrated it. Was it really Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda just came up with this masterful plan to take over planes? Or was it a false flag? Or was yeah. it an inside event? Or was it a military industrial complex ploy to try and force the U.S. into another war? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so many facets to... Yeah, and there's evidence for and against all of it. It's crazy how it's just like muddied it is, and it's just it's definitely one of those ones to me where it is extremely complicated, and there is like there will never be definitive proof for no. any side of it. Some of the weird stuff around the lead up to it, the uh, you know the predictions of it. You know, you get things like uh, Bill Cooper, like the father of conspiracy theories. You know this. This guy who lived on a mountain, he was in the Navy, he predicted all these crazy things, he talks about UFOs. He's the guy who wrote Behold a Pale Horse, this this book, the definitive book on a lot of different things. He, uh, in July of 2001, came out and said that after watching, so CNN did a, a show about Osama bin Laden. They sent reporters over to there and had the reporters in the cave interviewing Osama bin Laden about how he was the freedom fighter against Russia and all these different things. And Bill Cooper goes on his radio show uh, that night and says, how can these reporters from CNN find this guy in the middle of nowhere when the CIA is looking for him, everybody's looking for him. And then this is in July, pre 9-11, says, mark my words, there's going to be some major tragedy and this is the guy they're going to blame it on. They're already going through these motions. They're talking about this. This is the guy they're going to blame. And that was what kind of rocketed Bill Cooper's name to fame was because he came out and said, you know, Osama bin Laden was going to get blamed for this stuff. And then you have these other things like the, um, I'm blanking on the name of it, but the uh, the X-Files spinoff show that they had where in the show, one of the uh, episodes was they were going to fly a 747 dr- like f- driven by drones into the World Trade Center. And the end of the show is like this thing flying at the Trade Center, you know? And then you get, uh, you know, there's a couple of albums with like, uh, you know, rappers who had pictures of the towers on fire and stuff and all this stuff happens before 9-11 and you know so it does create this situation where you're wondering 
how did these people know what's going on with this? Why is it so weird? Why are all these different questions? You know, and it's it's really interesting for myself on 9-11. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you. I was a, I was an RA in college in Hackettstown, New Jersey, which is about 40 minutes from New York City. And so I was walking home from spending the night in a dorm. And I'm walking across the quad and I run into somebody and they tell me that uh, they know somebody in New York and I need to see what's going on. This is like eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, I rush back to my dorm and turn on my little dorm TV, you know, six by six inch, whatever it is, <laughs> and watching and, and trying to figure out what's going on. And this is 40 miles away on the other side of the, of the George Washington Bridge. And it was really crazy because a lot of the kids at that school were from New York City. And, right. you know, a lot of them, there was a big art program at the school. A lot of them wanted to go to Pratt, but they couldn't qualify. So they wound up at the school. There was a lot of equine studies. So there's a lot of course girls that came out to here. And so a lot of them were extremely invested in this. So kids were just running in the hall, screaming, freaking out. And as an RA, I have to go out and, you know, start telling Try people to calm down. And out and stuff, yeah. yeah. And nobody has any information. And the school I went to, there was a church and it had a gigantic gold dome over the church. And as I'm walking across trying to figure out if any classes are happening, anything, uh, one of the assistant deans pulls me aside and says, do you think they would be targeting this dome? And that's how scared everyone was. You know, a three-story church with a gold dome on top, and there's this woman who thinks that Al-Qaeda is going to be attacking this dome with airplanes. You know, and at this point, we didn't know what was going on. There's like, oh, there's a bomb in a parking lot. There's this thing going on. There's planes and other in the air. There's 10 planes up going on. You know, there's all this crazy stuff. And so it was complete bedlam. It was crazy. And um, I was, you know, like I said, I was a little bit older. So, like, I had already been reading about conspiracy theories for years at this point. And right away, it was just like, this is weird. This is so weird, you know. And it, the weirdness was probably the magnitude of the thing. Like, it was just nothing like this had happened on, on U.S. soil before, you know. So, yeah, it was very scary. Um, yeah, and then and then after that, you know, my family was in South Florida at the time. So, like, I'm alone on this campus with no family and trying to figure out what's going on. And then, you know, the entire uh, airlines shut down and all that stuff. And I, I ended up getting one of the uh, one of the last flights out of the airlines before they all shut down. And I took a, a pretty big plane to Orlando and then I had to fly in a Cessna from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale, about 50 feet over the swamp, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is, a, this is like a day after 9-11. Yeah. And we were so low, I could see alligators like in the swamp and we wow. land. Yeah. And then I got there. And so, you know, I just wanted to be more with my family for that stuff. And it was just, it was, it was shocking. It was, you know, before that, before 9-11, you looked at conspiracy theories and you were looking at UFOs and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. And there was like a, a bit of fun to it, you know, like right. there was this, I enjoy talking about this. It's goofy aliens and like all that stuff. And like, it was kind of like this, almost like a loss of innocence where everything changed, you know, it, right. it went from, is this a thing that's happening to the universe and the galaxy? And just this something weird thing to like, okay, they're blowing up where I live, you know? So it's like, a complete restructuring of how you think about stuff. Right. You know, so, yeah, it's definitely crazy. And like, to me, how there's so many other conspiracies that kind of come out of nine 11. But what's interesting to me about it as well, is it really has to do with like how old you were and where you were and what Absolutely. situation you were in when it's happened. Cause if you think about these same type of like 
world shifting conspiracies. There's been so many mm-hmm. over the ages, but they've just affected different groups. And for us, like 9-11 is our one. Like our parents, it was, you know, World War II and the Nazis, you know what I yeah. mean? Like we were sitting around here not doing anything. And then there's this like rumor coming out of Europe that there's this crazy guy rounding up Jews and like, yeah. you know, and they're just like, that doesn't make any sense or whatever. And the United States was trying to stay out of it. So like, that's the one for us. And it's crazy to me how now we have all these like very modern conspiracies and stuff happening that's in modern day that I think we can attribute it, at least for the younger generations who are talking like millennials and younger mm-hmm. to stuff like this. Like there's so many other conspiracies that come out of this. Like I'm sure we'll talk about it at one point, but one that's like really fascinating to me that's unrelated is the global mental health crisis. Oh yeah. I'm I like, I'm so convinced about that one. Especially now with COVID. I mean, it's, yeah, it's and, skyrocketing. And, right. Exactly. And so like, for people like us in this like millennial age, this is our second major event like this after yeah. 9-11. But if we're talking about the younger ages, this whole COVID shutdown is going to be the Gen Z's. Yeah. Right. They're going to end the whatever the newest ones are. I don't even remember what they're called, but this will be their one where they remember and they're just like, is it the Democrats? Was it the Clintons? Like, right. Like, was this engineered in some basement in Guantanamo or did it come yeah. out of China? You know what I mean? Like, they'll start talking about that later. Yeah. I mean, there's kids in high school now that have obviously no memory of 9-11 because they were born after it, you know? Right. So think about when you think about, like, JFK shooting. You know, it happened before you were born. It happened before I was born. Right. I mean, my, my, my the best uh, contact I have to it is stuff like... 1962 and the Umbrella Academy and pop yeah. culture references yeah. and stuff like that. Like it has no effect on me. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. It's, it's, it's almost for me, it's almost like the moon landing. Like a lot of people have the moon landing as this moon hoax. It's this big thing where they talk about that's when they first figured out the government line and all that stuff. But for me, it happened so long ago. It's not even on my radar. You know, it's just like this thing that happened in the past and I'm sitting here thinking like, well, there's these other things happening right now and we've moved on from that. And you know, Stuff along those lines. But yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because 9-11 is one of those things that if you're 14 years old right now, it's like think about World War II. It's, it's this massive thing in the background. And, you know, like your tattoo artist, you're talking about PTSD. You know, it's, it's seeing the towers fall. Compare that to being on a battlefield. I mean, it's it's very there's very similar things there. You know, people people get PTSD for much lower things than that. You know, people get PTSD for getting in fistfights. You know, so yeah, it's it's very interesting to see how people react to that. And I mean, think how many people are in New York City? Millions. You know, nine million or eleven million, whatever it is. Right. And you know, they all were there. New York's not a big place. It's like three miles long from head to toe. Yeah. And so. Everybody that was there has an opinion. I was 40 miles away and I was like seeing ramifications from it. You know, you were hundreds of miles away and, and you were seeing ramifications from it. You know, the whole planet shook from that. You know, right. I, I remember reading stories and I remember talking to a, to a psychiatrist friend of mine who was talking about after 9-11 when they were seeing people that there were people who were so paralyzed by it that they were laying in bed and they would have their significant others turn the TV on its side so they didn't have to move from laying on their bed to watch the TV because they were just so paralyzed from watching this unfold. And it turned into, you know, that was really the beginning of the 24-hour news cycle, you know. Mm. CNN wasn't that old. I mean, CNN was already, you know, 15, 20 years old at that point. But, like, the 24-hour news cycle was really happening. And, you know, it, it always stands out in my mind because when I was sitting there watching that, I had my TV on my desk 
in the in my little tiny dorm room. And next to it, I had this gigantic CRT monitor with it was 13 inches, but the whole thing was probably 400 pounds. <laughs> and it was hooked up to a, like an old 486. And I'm going through and looking at this stuff. And the only really place you can go when you were looking at it was like Yahoo. You know, Yahoo had the feed up and they were updating stuff. And that was like one of your only kind of like immediate information sources versus watching the news. And the news was just replaying the buildings falling over and over again. And you didn't want to stare at that because it was horrible. Right. You know, so it was just like rotating the same cast yeah. stream over and over again. Yeah. And that's how that's how that kind of set the pace for how we consume news now. You know, look at anything that happens. Look at a hurricane that happens. Like we're locked into this like feed of like gore porn on our TV channels where they just show us the bodies hitting the floor over and over again. You know, right. it's, and you would think it would be desensitizing at some point, but it, it's really not because it's almost the opposite. It doesn't desensitize you. It makes you become addicted to it. Exactly. And because it's like, if you think about um, the way that life was before 9-11 and after 9-11, like I was young enough. I was like, what, 13? Yeah. That I don't really know how life was before 9-11 because I was a 13 year old. Mm -hmm. Like I was in my parents, you know, safe house bubble. Yeah. So what was, what is real life to like a 12 or 13 year old? But, sure. Yeah. But when you look at all of the things that have changed since that one event, it's really just like created this ripple that it's crazy. These handful of things happen just in the United States, but have caused global ripples that have now spanned almost two decades, right? Because if we think about like the constant stream of news media and how that may have fed into the development of mm -hmm. social media. And now there's 10 million social media platforms and they're all just like barfing data at you 24 hours a day, just like continue to scroll down forever yeah. streaming this. And that just didn't exist before 9-11. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, 24 hour news media, that just did not exist before 9-11. And so getting into the media is a whole other thing we we're talking about how much of this is really news versus how much of this is really entertainment are they just like glorifying this thing over that thing and only paying attention to shit that gets ratings over shit that's important like it's just so crazy how that has gone on but then from a more not that media and social media is not global but you know if we look at stuff like travel and intercountry security and stuff like that airlines just did not do the shit that they do now before then oh, like well, before yeah. then you could you know i can remember my dad traveling for work and my mom being able to bring my brother and i right up to the mm -hmm. gate to meet my dad off the plane and after 9 11 i mean that shit was over there was you know and all of a sudden we lived in this world where um you know it wasn't just going into like the courthouse where you had to get frisked and have like somebody waving a you know wand around you yeah. it was Going into school, you, they did that shit. Going into the airport, you're doing it now. Like, um, you know, I can remember after college, I played hockey in Germany for a while, and that was right around the same time as the UK tunnel bombing, which to me oh, didn't yeah. really have an effect on me because it happened in another country. But I was in Europe at the time, and so, like, me trying to fly out of Munich International Airport back yeah. in Philly three days after the UK tunnel bombings and seeing a shit ton of German military with like MP5s and flak jackets yeah. all over the Munich airport. 
it didn't phase me at all. Like I was not right. worried about it. And it was crazy to me how like just that amount of additional like governmental oversight and security and not trusting yeah. people and fear and whatever that all this has caused is now like I was 18 years old and I had no phase about seeing like 85 German dudes with automatic weapons in an airport did not phase me at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was 22, 23, something like that when it happened. And uh, so I was in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And when I flew there, I used to, flying into the city was very complicated. You want to fly into JFK, it's just a disaster. So I flew into uh, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, which was 20 minutes away. And it was the, it was a mini mall of an airport. Like it was like a strip mall. And you would park, I would park in the front, carry my bag, walk 15 feet to the door. No one would stop me. And I would walk right to the gate. And the person at the gate would take my ticket, which was just a printed out piece of paper. And then I would walk out and go down onto the tarmac. And the tarmac was, there was no fences. You could walk onto the tarmac from either side, anywhere you wanted to. And you would just go and get on the plane. And it wasn't, there was no, you know, and then I flew into there once after 9-11 and it was all, all that was locked down. That was all done. You know, there was no more of that. And so it was always bizarre to me. And I remember when I was a kid going, uh, to the airport, you know, same thing. Mom and dad, hold your hand. You know, I used to fly to my aunt's farm in Indiana to work every summer. And they would literally put us on a plane, walk us up, and they would take us into the plane and sit us down. And then we would fly to Indiana. And so, you know, now you pull up to the airline, you pull up to the to the drop-off, and it's this sense of anxiety. I've got to get out of here as fast as possible. That guy's going to yell at me. That guy's going to yell at me, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it has changed everything. And I'm sure we will do more of a deep dive into like all those little topics right? I know. later for sure. We'll start know? talking about COVID and how it's going to be the new world order is yeah. masks and, and yeah. uh, hand sanitizer and how this is going to like, I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point, how we think this is going to like change the face of the world yeah. as we head forward that we will never Either go approach, back. Yeah. Like there will never be a time before COVID again. Like I don't think no. we're going to go back. No, there, there won't be. And, and my wife always says it's funny because I started talking about, uh, COVID back in November before yeah, of last the lockdown, year. November of last year, before November of 2019. And I was bringing it up to her and we were actually out to dinner on New Year's Eve. And I was showing her like death count proposals of like these were numbers coming out of China. And she was like, that's not going to happen. Let's stop talking about it. And I was like, listen, this is going to be serious. And, she, and then she was like, okay, listen, go to the store. Don't talk to me about it. Just buy whatever you think we need to buy and be done with it. And so I went and I got an entire cart flooded to the top full of like preparation stuff where, you know, I was buying like pasta and pasta sauce and toilet paper and paper towels. And that was like January 2nd. And then I felt, I started feeling like an idiot because nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. And then lockdown happened and like every piece of toilet paper on the planet vanished, you know? And then, <laughs> and then I felt a little more justified because you couldn't even buy black beans at that point, you know? I know. Um, I, I, I was over here just like, people were like, aren't you rushing to like get that stuff? And I was like, no, I mean, I'm normal. I have like right. a stock. I have like a normal amount of normal people's stockpile. And also I don't shit every 35 seconds yeah. or mummy wrap. So like right. I can make one roll last a while. So right. like I'm good. I we never had a problem. Yeah. So but you know, I mean I definitely know people who are like over here going through like two or three rolls of toilet paper a day, fucking mummy wrapping and I think like, it's a sense like of comfort. You yeah. Know? It's there's something there that like this feels me like you know, when you think about the world falling apart, the last thing you want to think about is wiping your ass. You know, when That's when, true. when it comes to like the actual apocalypse, nobody wants to talk about like washing their hair, 
wiping their ass, like, you know, picking ticks out of your beard. Like that's stuff people don't want to talk about, you know? Um, but the reality is those are things we're going to have to think about. We're going to have to figure <laughs> out those three shells and put them together and use them on our butts and figure out how that whole thing works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know? Which I have no idea. I can use a banana leaf, but I don't know about the three <laughs> shells. That's a new one on me. Um, all right. So that, man, we talked about that one for a while. So sure. let me flip it around. Yeah. Jake, what is the first conspiracy theory that you remember being like really grabbing you and like getting you yeah. started and entwined? So I th- there's two that that are competing in my head but i think the one that was really first was i remember seeing the christopher walken movie communion which was based on a book by whitley striber which is the real like origin story of alien abductions so the story of communion is whitley striber is this guy his whole life he's had these weird things happen to him uh, he's played by christopher walken in this movie and at one point I don't have a big memory of this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember one scene. He's talking to his kids. He's in totally one of those 70s house, like my house. It's like a 70s house. Okay. And he's talking to his kids and he says, I'm going to go get a pack of cigarettes. And he walks out and the mom looks up and she goes, you don't smoke. And I remember that very dramatically in my head. And he walks out and then it's like the classic conspiracy theory, like alien abduction. The light beams down. Light comes down, boom, he gets picked up, and he tells the story, the whole thing, the whole nine yards. And now Whitley Whitley Star is still alive, and he's like this really cool spiritual guy who's doing this whole blog about stuff, and, uh, you know, smart guy. Um, But his story was one of the, after after, um, Barney and, uh, I'm blanking on their names, the Barney Hill, after them, the, the first couple, they were like the original alien abduction couple. It was this amazing interracial couple that got picked up and they were driving along the road and then all of a sudden they were 30 miles away they don't remember what happened aside from a flash of light and all that stuff and they you know they went and tried to tell their stories but it was the 50s and people weren't listening to them and so anyways the the Whitley Stryber was the first one that was really blowing up like in modern media you know this is still way after Roswell all of that stuff and so so the alien thing kind of like you know again pre-9-11 it was a different world you know, and so like this was this was in my mind a lot growing up and like we would look at that stuff and, you know, me and my friends would be running around after dark, scared of aliens and stuff. And, uh, you know, my dad was a was a big conspiracy theorist guy and like would take me to gun shows and I would talk to those guys at the gun shows who would be handing out copies of Behold a Pale Horse and all these other crazy books. And you would read through them and just, you know, back then pre-internet when you roll up onto a gun show and there's this like row of books that are just talking about aliens and Bigfoots and all this other stuff. And I grew up in South Florida and there, there wasn't a ton of alien sighting stuff in South Florida, but it was just really interesting to me. So I think the alien thing was definitely the first one that came out in my head. And then around the same time, I, there was a lot of talk in my neighborhood and my family about like the Florida skunk ape. And so the Florida skunk ape is basically the Bigfoot of South Florida. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's a little hairier. He's a little South. stinkier, but he lives in the swamp. And okay. he's, he's straight up a swamp Bigfoot. And uh, he was this gigantic tail in South Florida, you know, because, you know, in South Florida, it's, you know, North Carolina, where we're here, you know, you walk out of your house, you go down to the end of the end of the city and there's the woods. And you can still kind of walk out in the woods, you know, and like you go out hunting when you're yeah. younger and you go out and you camp out in the woods. Yeah, it's very woodsy here. Like if you ever go yeah. up into a building, everything on the ground disappears and it just looks like trees. Right, exactly. So it just it's goes like, on forever. 
but you can walk out into those trees. You know, there's a there's a there's a sense of like ownership of the forest in North Carolina where you right. can go out there and you see deer and bunnies and it's all nice and and cool. In Florida, it's not like that. It's like if the woods of North Carolina are like listen to the Beatles, you go to South Florida, it's like listen to death metal as soon as you get out there. It's just it's <laughs> it's aggressive. There's lots of bugs. There's alligators that will kill you. Uh, there's boar that will charge out of the woods and gore you. And it's just thing after thing that will mess you up. And then on top of all that, there's the mythical skunk ape that lives out there too. A seven foot tall hairy beast that will tear you to shreds and leave you where you are. And I always found that like, that was like a scary thing to me because in 1997, there was a bunch of sightings all at once, like not far from my house. And it was a tour bus of 40 people Shit. saw the skunk ape in Ochopee, Florida, which not crazy far from my house. Okay. So they saw this, they saw this skunk ape on the edge of the on the edge of the road, and it was just shaking bushes, making dirty faces at him. <laughs> and the driver of the bus <laughs> is like pulling the bus backwards and forwards so all the tourists can see him. And then finally it's just like, this thing's not moving. Well, actually the driver of the bus, uh, this guy, uh, I think his name's Steve Goodbread. He tells one of the tourists who has a telephoto lens on their camera, this woman tells her, can you get off the bus and go take a good photo? And obviously she's like, no, I don't want to get shredded by this monster. She definitely should have. She should have, but I think it's also wise not to get destroyed by a Bigfoot, you know? Hey, it would have been worth it. <laughs> so they get back on the bus and Mr. Goodbread is like, F this, I'm going to go. And he takes the tour bus, parks it, gets everybody off, gets in his car and rushes back, can't find the thing. So then the next day, another tour bus sees this beast in the woods, like again, like the, and they see it over and over again. And uh, so then there's just multiple sightings, like uh, a local realtor. This is all within like a two week period. Local realtor sees it. And it's all in the newspapers. Every day there's brand new articles. Skunk ape seen here. Skunk ape seen there. That's crazy. And he's like moving around or he's in a similar area? He's in the same kind of area, like within a mile or so, you know? Okay. And then one of the big final ones, which the Miami Herald latched onto this, was uh, the local fire chief. Like, you know, you're supposed to believe the fire chief. He's like this guy you're supposed to believe. Yeah. And uh, he's out there and he says, like, I saw this thing. And he got a photo. And he, like, he jumped out of his car with it. He's a fire chief, so he takes photos of, like, you know, burned down buildings for people and stuff. And he's got his camera, you know, like a 1997 Canon something or other. It shoots film, 35 millimeter film. Sure. Gets a photo, and you look at the photo, and if you put it up and you look at it, it just looks like a bunch of swamp trees and, like, ferns and palmetto leaves. But then there's, like, some black and brown stuff in the background, you know, and it looks... If you really squint, it looks like somebody hung a furry towel up on a tree. You know, you can't right. really tell what's there, but there's something there, you know? And know. so around that time, that really freaked me out. Like I thought about it because our backyard was the swamp. Like there was no delineation. There was no road. There was nothing back there. It was like our house, swamp. Like we used to get alligators back in our yard and it was just scary. And so I think that was the first one. The alien thing didn't really affect me that much, but the swamp babe thing, like I was a little scared of it. You know, it's like this little tinge of like, there's definitely something out there, you know. And then you get a lot of people saying, no, there's not. These things don't exist. And, you know, and, and then you look into it later and you're like, well, you know, biologically, maybe. Who knows? There, It's a big swamp, you know. But it's, uh, yeah, for a kid, that's scary. You know? Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about like the alien abduction one. 
I know. Um, yeah, I don't really have any like scary beasts one, I think, <clears throat> that have got me. But like, there's definitely been stuff like, um, like what was that guy's name who got abducted? Which you were talking oh, about? Oh, Whitley Stryber? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was trying to make sure it wasn't the same guy as me. So there was a movie that came out in the early 90s, and it was probably one of the very first like rated R movies that I ever really watched. Fire in the Sky or yes. something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah I remember like that. D.B. Sweeney in it. Scared the hell out of me. based yeah. on, um, what's his name? Travis Walton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like he was basically like a... Uh, um, they were loggers or something, yeah, right? They yeah, they were loggers, and he was like driving home or walking through the woods or something, and like the light beams down, yeah. and he disappears, and he's gone for like weeks, a while, yeah, 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 like six months or something, and then all of a sudden just like appears out of nowhere, naked in the woods, and he's yeah. like traumatized, yeah, and yeah, and so like I remember seeing that movie as a kid, and just like the scenes with the aliens where they like tried to recreate them, like probing him and stuff like that really like scared me as a kid and kind of fucked that me was up. freaky. I yeah. That. But yeah. I hadn't really thought about like that kind of stuff. And I know there's definitely like a bunch of movies that have made some like fairly lengthy and depthy conspiracy theories, like very mainstream in the mm-hmm. way now where like, when you start to talk about them, people think about the pop culture reference and not yes. the theory of the conspiracy, like The Matrix. Yeah. Which yeah. I know that The Matrix movies came out before yeah. 9-11 happened, because that would have been 2001. The first Matrix came out in 1999. Oh, okay. And so, like, simulation theory and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mandela effect, all that. That stuff wasn't really that mainstream before, you know, stuff like... The Matrix started coming out, or like Inception, which that that right. was like a, ten years later. Follow, you know, yeah. I can't remember when that movie came out, but you know, now all of a sudden you start talking about these theories and people blow it off like, uh, oh, you're you you're one of those weirdos it's who a thinks movie. the Matrix yeah. is real. That's a movie, but like you know, if you start looking at the science of perception, mm-hmm. you know, it's not. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, but it's not that insane. You know what I mean? There's like, a lot there. I mean, scientists. There, there are scientists that have come out and said, you know, they've looked at the way simulations are run, and there's a possibility, and, and it yeah. looks like it could be it. Yeah, like 200 years from now, tech could be far enough to like, you know, spoof brainwaves and stuff like Easily. that. Like you, yeah, like you never know. It's just it's kind of hard to tell with all this kind of stuff, and that I think is what is so fascinating to me about conspiracy theories is that we can look as far back in time as recorded history goes and find conspiracies and find links between yeah. conspiracy than those are conspiracies and see the web of how all of these things are really tied together in this giant web of everything that mm-hmm. happens every day and just how complicated it all is and it's just like fascinating to me yeah there's and that's a big point is the interconnectivity of it all you know when you look at things like uh, simulation theory and all that stuff, I, I kind of always blew off simulation theory because I looked at where AI was at that point. And then I had this guy demo this software to me when I was working at a company. And I forgot what it's called, but he could basically feed this AI books. And so he fed this AI, like, I think it was like all of Elmore Leonard's books or something. And then he. They had like a like a cursor and he just he wrote a sentence and then he dragged the cursor and turned that sentence into an entire blog post in one swipe and it was like it, it needed a couple touches here and there like it needed a little bit of editing okay but like that's an entire blog post that came out of nowhere out of a computer's brain 
You know, right. and it just like I looked at that and I thought like, oh yeah, okay, Matrix could be a thing. Like this, I could see where this is like could develop very easily because yeah. if they're developing like entertainment for us, why can they not simulate it? like you know, I say they, like it's an AI that's out there thinking of things, you know, right. but it's, you know, but... Or aliens or the government or the repo men or whatever. Sure. But like, because yeah. like the thing about simulation theory to me that's interesting is now does not have to be now. Right. The now that we are experiencing Absolutely. is not, doesn't necessarily have to be the now that the yeah. simulation exists. And so it's like, I mean, it could be like 50, 55 or some shit. We could be sea monkeys in some alien's bedroom toy i know we could yeah. be inside of a <laughs> tiny galaxy inside of a marble on a yeah. cat's necklace like i mean you know whatever <laughs> yeah you, you don't know and that's part of it is that we don't know there's right. so much unknown out there about it that any of it could be true all of it could be false yeah you know it's impossible to know but it's fascinating to think about it sometimes gives me panic attacks <laughs> but <laughs> sure I, but you know i, I mean it, it's just interesting to think about i try not to think too too hard on it but you know yeah just interesting to explore the possibilities of what could be all right guys thank you for tuning in to episode zero of reluminati if you have any beers you want us to check out or any conspiracy theories that you want to hear about shoot us an email at thebreluminati at gmail.com also check us out on instagram at thebreluminati a big thank you to chris from dungeonist for providing our intro and outro music at that, we will catch you guys next time.